This is Harney's Offshore Litigation Podcast Number 2. My name is Ian Mann, and I'm joined by my colleague here in Hong Kong, Dayton Riddle. Welcome, Dayton. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Thank you for coming. And we've got a very interesting topic ahead of us, common law recognition. Correct. Uh, I believe today we're going to be talking about the uh, case of Supreme Tycoon. Mm. And uh, tell me, so which jurisdiction does uh, Supreme Tycoon involve? It actually fits into two jurisdictions. Um, Initially, the company was incorporated in the BVI. Which is where you come in. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were seeking, uh, the company was seeking recognition uh, in Hong Kong, common law recognition in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the judge in the case was the, uh, it seems as always, Mr. Justice Jonathan Harris here in Hong Kong, right? Correct. (laughs) All right. And he's been involved in in so many of these cross-border recognition cases. I mean, he really gets the ball rolling with taking a modern approach to, um, I suppose, aggressively flexing the common law muscle, that common law power recognition as um, rediscovered, as it were, recently rediscovered, uh, it is said, in the case of Singularis. And, I mean, in terms of jurisdictions, Hong Kong, has been using it probably to greatest extent, more than any other common law jurisdiction in the world. Yes, I would agree. It seems as though Hong Kong uh, is looking to actively, you know, include recognition and assistance in their in their mm. everyday insolvency practitioner. Mm. And I think that is because Hong Kong has so many cross-border insolvency actions, yeah, yeah. Uh, particularly involving the offshore jurisdictions. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, Hong Kong and mainland Chinese business people have used offshore companies like BVI Cayman Bermuda uh, for, for generations. And when those companies turn south in the sense of insolvency, um, you know, cross-border elements really come to the fore. Uh, so there's a bit of creative... Um, sort of uh, interpretations of what's going on. But tell me, so in Supreme Tycoon itself, I understand it was a BVI company that was put into liquidation voluntarily by its parent, which was itself a company in liquidation. So so in good hands, you might say. Um, And what was the problem with recognition then? Well, um, the problem with recognition is that there has been case law, in particular, I believe you mentioned earlier, Singularis, yeah, yeah. where uh, Lord uh, Assumption mm-hmm. uh, stated that uh, that common law recognition, there's no power to recognize a voluntary uh, a voluntary liquidation, as I believe he quoted in his in his orbiter that uh, it would be akin to a private arrangement. So mm. the question was uh, whether or not the Hong Kong court could use common law recognition. Uh, to recognize the winding up uh, via a shareholder resolution. I mean, you, I think you're, you're right to describe it as obiter because he's just sort of um, describing what he says already exists in the common law. And he says, it's at paragraph 25 of Singularis, um, he says it's available, common law recognition, to assist the officers of a foreign court of insolvency jurisdiction or equivalent public officers. But, I paraphrase, he said it would not, for example, be available to assist a voluntary winding up, which is essentially... A private arrangement, but in the Supreme, case of Supreme Tycoon, it was it was a sort of odd mix of the two, wasn't it? What what had happened there? Well, initially, um, as you stated earlier, the parent uh, went into voluntary or went into uh, liquidation following following a creditor petition, a compulsory liquidation, yeah, compulsory yeah, liquidation, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. and uh, sought a letter of recognition 
recognition from the Hong Kong court, Great. which they were granted. Good. Uh, following that, uh, the liquidators, uh, acting on behalf of China Culture, which was the parent, mm. uh, signed a written resolution to put them put Supreme Tycoon into liquidation. They then sought recognition and assistance from uh, Mr. Just Chief uh, Mr. Justice Harris. Yeah. Um, the problem with that is is that it is a voluntary winding up. Yes. And so. Section, uh, sorry, paragraph 25 of Singularis had a sort of chilling effect and the judge wasn't uh, at first um, entirely comfortable with coming to the decision. He eventually grants recognition, doesn't he? Right, he does yeah. grant uh, recognition and he focuses on uh, a very common term, uh, modified universalism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he focuses on the fact that Supreme Tycoon um, was a winding up that appeared to be a collective uh, insolvency in nature uh, that focused on uh, the collective enforcement of debts mm -hmm. uh, for the benefit of a general body of creditors. Mm -hmm. um, he saw that that plus the need of the liquidators uh, to receive books and records and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, it was a necessity for them as an office holder to be able to do their job. And as a result of that, Go ahead. Well, I was about to interrupt you there. I mean, it's, it's funny you say the source of that is modified universalism, which is, of course, uh, Lord Hoffman's genius sort of treatise on the law in the, in the case of Cambridge Gas. And then you describe the collective insolvency proceeding, which could just as easily have been taken out of the answer trial model law, actually. <laughs> These are principles that will be Very familiar much. to people from, from many jurisdictions. But why does... Um, the learned uh, Mr. Justice Jonathan Harris accede to the BVI judge's Justice Wallbank's letter of request in the sense that, you know, why does he think that a company that's put into liquidation by resolution could possibly be a collective insolvency proceeding then? I would say uh, the reason why is because the nature of how the BVI legislation is in place. Yeah. Um, effectively, mm -hmm. when you read the BVI, there's two different ways that you can go into insolvency or go you can go into liquidation. Yeah. Either via a a voluntary liquidation of a solvent company. That's when you're completely solvent, no insolvency yep. questions, and the directors have to sign a resolution and say we are solvent. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. The other way is is via an insolvent liquidation. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas in other jurisdictions, such as England uh, and the United States, you can have voluntary insolvent liquidations. Mm. However, in the BVI, that's not the case. Mm. Um, in the BVI, it doesn't matter whether or not you were put into liquidation uh, by the court or by a shareholder resolution. The overall process is that it will be a court-supervised liquidation. If insolvent. If insolvent, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So that, and in fact, I mean, I have done, I've done a bit of research, so, so you wouldn't show me up too much, um, Dayton, but it all started, um, you'll be too young to remember, with the English Companies Act 1862. Yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> in that act, they were essentially, that was the genesis of there being three forms of liquidation you have this you know the compulsory liquidation uh, one sharp end of, of of the spectrum you have voluntary liquidations and then you have liquidations that where a supervision order is made over the winding up essentially insolvent of course liquidations um, and then uh, the next iteration of that is actually the English Companies Act 1948 which uh, equally has those three exception to 11 three forms of um, insolvency proceedings, 
Um, that all changed in England in 2006, by the way, but it, it, sorry, in 1986, by the way, in the 1986 Insolvency Act, but the BVI um, does it slightly differently. So, I mean, the key to all this, surely, is whether or not you have a collective insolvency proceeding, there's, there's someone sensible in charge, by which I mean maybe a court officer, but certainly a qualified insolvency practitioner or, or, or the like running the proceedings Correct. such that the, 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 the court that's received the request to cooperate under common law assistance can say, yeah, this, however it started, it's now within a process that we understand to be collective and insolvent, right? Correct. Uh, and it even goes a little bit further um, with the BVI, because if the if the company enters into a voluntary liquidation yeah. and the insolvency practitioner or liquidator determines that the company is, in fact, insolvent, they're required to call a creditor's meeting within 21 days mm. and effectively run the uh, liquidation as an insolvent liquidation from that point forward. Wow, well, that, that is a, a key um, part of it. And, of course, when you have Justice Woolbank of the BVI saying in his letter of request... This company is under essentially my supervision to use the 1862 or the 1948 yeah. Act parlance, um, and I'd like you, uh, learned judge in Hong Kong, to help me. That that feels like exactly where common law recognition should be, court to court, and recognition between jurisdictions, right? And and I think that's exactly what Mr. Justice Harris uh, determined in his decision when he mm. made the uh, bold decision to it actually bold, go against yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Singularis and make yeah. the determination yeah. that. Uh, he could recognize and provide assistance. Bold but correct. And he makes the point that it's it. what matters for the cross-border insolvency is not whether the foreign insolvency officer is or is not an officer of the court. What matters is that it's a collective process. That's key, right? Correct. And and with that, wow, uh, time went by really quickly. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute <laughs> blast. Time flies when you're having fun. Thank you, Dayton.